Hey there, and welcome to the next episode of We Been Had, where we discuss, or even debate, albums for your listening pleasure. I am Keith Pilly. And I'm Mark Farmer of Grand Funk Rope. No, I'm <laughs> Chad Cook. If only. Um, I don't know, maybe not if only. He might suck to do a... Unless you're the dog. I, I don't know. Anyway. Um, I, I was pretending to be the dog from the Butthole Surfers, not the actual <laughs> member of Grand Funk Railroad. Uh, nice, like, very low-key preemption, too, since there is a very sketchy Butthole Surfers connection to what we'll be talking about. Um, the deal on the show, of course, is that we take turns picking an album, and then we both dig into it. And this time around, it was your pick, and dot, dot, dot. Uh, Electric Ladyland, uh, Jimi Hendrix Experience, the final studio album of the Jimi Hendrix Experience. The end of the experience. Yeah. Um, and I, and actually, so, like, the interesting thing, at least for me, and I don't know, how, how did you, what was your first exposure to Jimi Hendrix? Um, rock radio, like, classic rock radio in Omaha. And so I was just kind of, he was kind of there in the background and then in high school, one of my, one of my guitar playing friends just went, you know how like high school kids will just go nuts on someone? My friend Matt just went nuts on Jimi Hendrix. So for a while, like it was just Hendrix was Matt's thing. Interesting. And, uh, so how I, about you? A little different. Um, for whatever reason, uh, as part of a like a music class in elementary school during black history month okay um i got assigned Jimi hendrix as a as like a musician to so everybody got a musician to like this was in grade school oh yeah like sixth grade probably this is the coolest fucking grade school i've ever heard of yeah no (laughs) i had nothing like that Wow, like that the the coolness escalated with each step. There. You know, the sad thing is is that the what I really wanted was Herbie Hancock, but that he was selected in front of me. So uh, yeah, he's pretty rad too. I was yeah, but I wanted him from because like Axel F, like <laughs> you know, not for not for anything good that he's done. Like, he wanted to just play the Rocket video, right? Exactly, like. What was what was that album called? Like uh I don't know, I can see it. It had that like wave Future yeah. Shock, I think it was called. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh so what did you what when you were researching Jimi Hendrix um well, in sixth grade, what did you think? Well so research I should have just talked to my dad. That would have been the better strategy, but you know, like any good public school Sixth grader growing up in Iowa, I hoofed it over to the Iowa City Public Library and uh, and got a, a Jimi Hendrix tape. Fuck yeah. Um, which weirdly they had, right? It was just like a. <laughs> uh, and and so, I mean, I believe the tape was Super Hits. Smash okay. Hits. Smash Hits. Yeah. Um, I had the Super Hits CD, but Smash Hits was the was the tape and uh and yeah i mean i i don't remember it having like you want to i want to say it had some like monumental impact on me but uh it took me 
it took me a while. I had to get to like uh, probably high school before I was like actually kind of was into it. That's still you know that, that that's not that's not a bad trajectory. I mean, there's no shame in not being able to get music in sixth grade. Yeah, I, and I mean, I wasn't exactly. I I was growing up in Iowa, so it wasn't really a like haven for you know like maybe when you were older um it it was but not yeah not then yeah. it was whatever was on the radio or mtv was t- yeah those were those were different times for that shit uh i uh so i wanted to throw out just the the basic tombstone info on the album uh before we move into it more so it's released October of 1968 on Reprise or Reprise. I never know. I always say Reprise, but I also I th- always feel like I'm saying it I wrong. Think it's, I think it's Reprise, but I, I could be wrong on that. It, you're probably right. Um, produced by Jimi Hendrix and Chaz Chandler. I, just, I think we need more men in the world who go by Chaz. <laughs> is, is your name Charles if you go by Chaz? I think so. My nephew's name is Charles, and I tried to I tried to hang that on him when he was younger, but it didn't stick. Um, I mean, I only have to change one letter for it to be Chaz. Yeah, I, the crown is right there for you to take. Just take it. I, uh, let's see, what have I got? Oh, uh, this, so this was, as far as I know, I believe this was the only album where Hendrix was the m- main producer. And it sounds like Chandler didn't like working with him. Um, then, yeah, you said, you, you brought this up, that it's the last album with the experience. Last album released in his lifetime, which is weird. And it spent two weeks as the number one album. And that's that's pretty rad. Like, pretty hard to understand, given, you know, the specifics of the album that we'll get into, but... Yeah, so, I mean, for a while, I kind of poo-pooed this album because, like, I listened to And the Gods Made Love, and I'm like, oh, my God, what is what is this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, I, you know, it's, it's interesting just, like, you know, like, Jimi Hendrix as a thing is interesting because... He, there's so many compilations and live albums, and I mean, part part of the fact is that he died when he was really young. Yeah. But it it's almost like you you get a little bit kind of I don't know you just get a little bit like the actual studio albums kind of get uh, minimalized somehow. Yeah. Um, you know and. I don't know, I think for my money, I think this is probably my favorite of the studio albums. Um, you know, I think the, I mean, uh, some of the greatest hits type stuff are, are, are good, but are better, but that's, uh, you know, that's kind of a... That's the nature of the greatest hits. Yeah. The thing, I feel like, I feel like, so, I guess just in case anyone listening has not sat down and listened to this it's you know it's it's the long Hendrix album it's like 73 minutes long and it just kind of goes all over the place and it's got a bunch of stuff that you know from rock radio and then like 
some weird shit. <laughs> to me, the, to me, this feels like Hendrix's version of Sandinista, the Clash record. Um, you know, it's the same thing where it just so many ideas and ambitions and weird experiments, you know, just all thrown on tape and like sometimes you're just like what the fuck am i hearing and why did they bother but like you know even with the 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 killer to filler ratio is pretty good and the killer stuff is really fucking good yeah and i mean i think un- unfortunately you get that on most of the Jimi hendrix experience uh studio albums yeah uh there's just like they were just into some weird shit like yeah uh, but I think you could make a case that two of the better songs on the album are covers. Um, you know, I don't know what your thought is, but I have a couple thoughts. Um, I mean, I'd say the co- the cover of All Along the Watchtower is, is probably, one, probably for me, one of the better covers ever recorded. I, so... I- I have weird, I have a weird relationship with that. Where like, I know, you know, I know it's important. I know it's good. I, I, I understand why everyone loves it. I can never connect to, th- I mean, like I, I can appreciate it, but I never like love it in my bones the way other people do. And it's for the dumbest fucking reason that like, when I heard it, I was just so, this is awful. I was so dyed in the wool so into being a U2 super fan. <laughs> I was like, the definitive version of this song is U2's cover of it. Jimi Hendrix's cover does not hold up. <laughs> I mean, that's a bold stance to try a, to try to stake uh, out, but So I, like like that's that that is absolutely not the way I feel now, but I feel like you know, just the the emotional graft to the song was blocked <laughs> by that. And like it could just it could just never take. Do you hold? But I mean, like, I, do you hold uh, that uh, that that same uh, that same strident view with the John Lennon song? Oh Jesus! I do <laughs> like, not. Like, is the U two version of that? It's not really a ver- like. Yeah, it's like a response. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, that that is not good. Oh, but, um, what? So I'm trying to remember what, so for covers, there's, what is the other cover? It's Come On, Let the Good Times Roll. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which I think, like, the version of that on this, uh, album is just, just blows me away with just, like, what a, what a rocker it is. I, and... I is that like originally to me that always feels like one of those songs that's been around forever like like I know someone actually sat down and wrote it and was it like Dr. John or something like that but uh, it's Earl King but okay I mean I think it's been covered it's one of those like R&B staples that I think has been yeah. covered by by like just a number of people um Feels like it just like materialized in the air in New Orleans or something. Yeah, and it's, but it's uh, I don't know. I just their version just like, is like, 
what you do if you have Jimi Hendrix in your band, right? Like you just, <laughs> you just kind of set up a beat and just let him roll. Yeah. That was actually, I mean, and that's kind of a note that I had that like, it's hard. I don't know that like our entire lives have existed, like musically just post Hendrix and you know, like, like Jimi Hendrix being this fucking guitar monster is, you know, like that's just one of the things you learn about with music, you know, like, like when you're coming on board with rock music, like that's, that's in the intro package. And it's kind of hard with that as just a baseline. It's hard to like experience like, fuck, this guy is really just revolutionary and really, you know, and like, I don't know, like, like just, it, it's insane to me to think about like, he is one of those guys where like the way people use this instrument was different before and after. And, you know, like what, um, what, people considered like guitar virtuoso before him was a different thing and like yeah uh, i don't know it's just that that's crazy to me and so it i mean it just and i know we're bouncing around and not going in chronological order but like I, it blows me away that that you know you have somewhere in his mind he has the capability to play the like slight return version of voodoo child yeah. But still puts a fourteen minute version of Voodoo Child, the other Voodoo Child, on the album. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that, that is a production choice. <laughs> I, um, yeah, you know, I. So I mean, one of my thoughts about this album in general is like, for me, I I think because of the the like patchiness of it, it's one that I kind of. I listen to it, but I don't like, I'm not like fully engaged all the way through. I'll kind of like check in and check out. And the 14 minute version of Voodoo Child is, you know, I check out around minute three. Like it's, I, I'm sure they had a lot of fun recording it, but it's not my favorite, but then slight return motherfucker. Yeah. No, that is insane. And I, I'm sure we've talked about this, but it's, it's kind of like the the replacement song "Can't Hardly Wait," where they put the where they put the kind of assy one on the album and <laughs> and like pocket the one with the guitars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it, it, it's a better move, I guess, to put both songs on. Although, if he'd left the long one off, this would be like <laughs> you know, I don't know that it'd be a double album. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, it's. It it's just yeah. weird to think of it in terms of like if you if you bought it as an actual four LPs right like like just your what your listening experience would be like you know you'd yeah. be like you know, you'd, you'd kind of just I think you'd be confused because like at least according to, I'm looking at the Wikipedia that actually has it broken down that way and like side three is is just like rainy day dream away 1983 a merman i should i should turn to be and moon turn the tides gently gently away like i bet there are a lot of copies of that where that like everything else is well worn <laughs> but that side is like pristine yeah god i had forgotten that 1983 a merman is also 14 minutes like that and Voodoo Child, like, that's half an hour of music on two songs. 
That is, ah. Oh. Yeah, it's, uh, and this has always been a kind of a challenge for me with, uh, with Hendrix is just like, like the studio albums just like, they just have so much, so many valleys, like high highs, but low yeah. lows. Yeah. And, uh, this one, I mean, I actually think the lows on this one are better, um, but they're still like, you never know when they're going to hit you with like a, like a 14 minute song that's, you know, kind of j- like, jam bandy. Yeah. I mean, like, even then it's not, it's not bad. I'm never like, oh fuck, this is awful. I'm just, you know, by minute eight, I'm like, I don't know that I care a ton about the progression of this. But I don't know. I, it's it's worth it just for the virtuosity. So I had this stupid thing where, you know, so like in high school, like Hendrix was kind of off to the side, you know, like my friend's into it, I'm not. Somehow when I was in college, I had this different approach where I was just, so I was like dating a girl who was, who played the violin and was in the, the campus orchestra. And, like, somehow out of that, I got this, like, weird inferiority complex about rock music versus classical music. And so, like, I developed this, like, just absolutely young guy, insufferable position that, like, Jimi Hendrix is my classical music. (laughs) You want instrumental virtuosity? Jimi Hendrix is where you go. And, you know, like, from that point of view, like, the 14-minute jam band songs make sense, because it's like, oh, well, it's, it's, it's a Jimi Hendrix concerto. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, that's, that's not an, an undefensible position. I um, think it's a pretty stupid position. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> excuse me. Bless you. Did you ever, uh, did you ever listen to that? And this is the bridge that's going to unite those two themes. Did you ever listen <laughs> to that uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, tribute album that came out when we were call- in college called Stone Free? Yes, I don't. I, I remember having that. I remember. Um, yeah, I don't remember what the hell was it. Was there like a Spin Doctors song? Yes, on that? the only good thing the Spin Doctors have ever done <laughs> is a cover of Spanish Castle Magic. <laughs> And it's awesome. Uh, I I'm gonna have to track that down. But there's a there's a Nigel Kennedy uh, version of uh, of one of the songs. Who's like the who had the rap of being like the bad boy of classical music or something stupid <laughs> like that. That's a good rap if you can get it. So oh, yeah. That's uh, a that. I mean that. The the thing I really like about that album, that cover album, is there's like all kinds. Of, I was just gonna grab it to see what the some of the um it uh it had like it like Ice Tea to a cover of A Joe. Holy shit! I kind of remember yeah. that. I know it was it was like for its day. It was uh. It was kind of, uh, I don't know, it was one of those albums that like just a lot of people had. Yeah. There was a lot of that in the 90s for some reason. I, um, 
You know, it's funny. I, I, another just talking about covers reminds me of a weird tangent I wanted to bring up. Like, I've always thought it was weird that, um, you know, a lot of people like cite Hendrix as this big, uh, you know, this big influence on them. And one of those that I've never gotten, but he seems very sincere in it, is Sting. Like, Sting will not shut up about how, you know, he saw Jimi Hendrix live. He saw an oral firestorm from Jimi Hendrix and just felt like he had to rock and you know, chose not to rock. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, during my, during there was a stretch when I was kind of into solo Sting. And like the one song I remember from that era that I'm still like, that's okay, is his cover A Little Wing. And like him... So it's tough, that's a tough cover. Like, that's... Yeah. Especially because it's like, I don't know, it's it's just... Jimi Hendrix is a kind of a tough cover because it's like... Yet you're unlikely to match the guitar playing ability and... Yeah. Like, nobody's tuning in for his voice, so... Well, that's the thing I wanted to ask you about. What do you think... What, what do you make of Jimi Hendrix, the singer? I mean, I think it works for what he's trying to do. Um, I just... You know, I think the, I, I don't know, I, and this is just maybe just me wanting this to be true, but it's kind of like, it's like Dinosaur Jr. or something. Like, I, I like the, I like the total package, but I think if you yeah. stripped it down to its parts, like, you know, if you're inviting me to a Jay Massis acapella performance, I think I'm probably <laughs> going to pass. I think that's it. Like, like his singing absolutely works for this music, but if it was like, you know, just a very ordinary band with Jimi Hendrix singing, you'd just be like, nah, I don't know. Yeah, you wouldn't Fine. want him. You wouldn't want him fronting the Beach Boys or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, kind of on the same plane. Like in 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 my same like undergrad, like Jimi Hendrix is my classical era. Um. I was also like really stupidly hung up then that, uh, you know, that, that music, like music had to say something, you know, it had to matter. And I remember reading something about Hendrix then, um, and him talking about how, like when he's writing lyrics, like he doesn't want his lyrics to be heavy at all. He wants, he wants them to be about, you know, just he wants them to be as light as helium, man. And I was just like, you know, even though I was all like, he's my classical, I was very like, you have let me down, Jimi Hendrix. You need to say something. The, uh, uh, have you ever been to the Experience Music Project in Seattle? I I haven't. So they do have. They it's interesting that he says that because they have this like they have like the handwritten lyrics for the song Angel. Okay. Um, and they have it in this like glass case, you know, like displayed. Um, which would be awesome if he actually intended it to be like super light. And... <laughs> it's a weird like like I would say his lyrics are kind of it's kind of similar. It's in the same category as his voice, where like it works for this, but like uh, you know, none of these songs are like are poetry, but they're exactly what they need to be. Like they, it's like a basketball team where like. It's like the versions of the Bulls where Jordan and Pippen were so good 
that it didn't matter what stiffs were around them. And, like, it probably would have been bad if, like, the other players had been good. You know, and, like, his guitar playing is so good that he just kind of needs just role players <laughs> in terms of the other instruments and, like, in terms of, like, his vocal ability and his songwriting ability. I think part of the thing, too, is, I mean, I think he did a lot of drugs, so, like, <laughs> you know, that... That probably clouds it somewhat. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, just the era of that, you know, those, like, a lot of those, like, kind of San Francisco-y psychedelic bands, like, if you start to piece together the lyrics, they don't make a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, no, I don't know. That's what I was, that's what I always chalk it up to, at least. It's, uh, I mean, he's definitely not, I mean, he's not like Bob Dylan as a lyricist, right? Like, where it's like, yeah, you know, it, it it's like, it's not even poetry, but it's some form of, like, undiscovered art that he's, yeah. that he's operating in. But it, there is this weird thing where, like, at the same time, like, you know, I, I, I've been kind of shitting on him, but at the same time, like, he's not Bob Dylan, but he's also not Steven Tyler, you know, like, like his songs aren't like just stupid songs about his dick. He's got like a point of view. It's Dude just looks like a lady, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Loving an elevator. Clearly, clearly <laughs> the, the defining songs of our times. Jeannie's got a gun. <laughs> hey man, that was serious. That song was about something. I don't know. It, it, it's a weird, I, He's tough to figure. I, that so, I guess that's the thing that like for me, thinking about Hendrix in any aspect, even like you always come back around to like he's just this unique singular figure, and there's like not that many people like him, and like you know just like his musicianship is different from most other people's, and like I guess his musical point of view is different, and he's just he's. You know, I'm a little... I don't love making this comparison when they're both prominent black guitarists, but it's kind of like Prince, where, like, like Prince is just kind of the only guy like that, and he has his very unique point of view, and, you know, I, and I guess another thing is he and Hendrix both like to wear frills. And... I think it'd be like trying to... It'd be like trying to explain, like, if you would you know, if you're in like peak '80s, early '90s, like Guns N' Roses, AC/DC era, trying to explain Jack White to somebody, like yeah. it's just it's just different than what you're used to. It's it's a a totally different style. Yeah, I got really into it too. Just thinking about the context. So, like on my own, I'm also. I'm kind of going through this big Buck Owens phase right now. And, um, you know, he was selling a ton of records in the late 60s and, like, had kind of the end of his hot streak overlapped with, with Hendrix's. Um, you know, and, like, and like and he's making great, great music that's just from another fucking world from Jimi Hendrix. And it's just wild to me to think about, like, what 1967 and 68 contained you know, like, like, as much as we're used to Hendrix's weird point of view now, like, you know, I've just, I've got a list of, like, the top songs of the year, and it's, 
it's just all kinds of weird shit. Like the box tops. And yeah, I mean, I think it just was a. It, I don't know what the. So did Buck Owens? I know Buck Owens is. They always refer to Buck Owens as the Bakersfield Sound. Yeah. Did he stay in Northern California? Pretty much, yeah. So I mean, they were. Because I think Hendrick spent quite a bit of time around San Francisco. Um, I mean, so it's not impossible that the two of them interacted. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, Owens definitely was, like, aware of what was going on in rock. That's, I don't know. It's just, it's weird to me. I, the end of the 60s is this weird thing. I remember um, Matthew Weiner, the whole time that Mad Men was running, Matthew Weiner would make this, kept repeating this thing about like we think of 1969 and you know we all think of rock and roll but like the number one song that year was uh was a Frank Sinatra song and it's just wild to me that we have this like constructed image of the late 60s that is valid but it's not the whole story and like I, this you know I, this record is part of that where it's like this was a big record that year but you know, there was all kinds of other weird shit next to it. And I don't think we even, you know, like, for me, going back and listening to this record was this weird thing where there's, like, like maybe 30% of it, I was like, fuck yeah, the hits. I remember this, I remember this. And then, like, there's big stretches of, like, I don't, I've forgotten that this existed. What the hell? It's, uh, yeah, and I think the, uh, it's just as crazy to me to to think that there were, there are people living and walking around that saw like saw these people perform like yeah it's uh i don't know it just doesn't even seem real sometimes yeah well it's weird like like little so it's wild to me that that little richard died last year and like i i guess i had somehow thought he had died before that but you know when he died like it was fucking wild to you know be like oh yeah well Hendrix started out in his backing band and like and you know and and then left and like had you know this short brilliant career and died and and little Richard just like kept on living for decades after that and which is great but I mean just how weird that like you know these two lives intersect and one ends and the other one keeps going for decades yeah it's uh it's not uh it's not dissimilar to sort of the the kind of cross-pollination that happens in jazz right with different uh with different artists who start as part of someone's band and then yeah um end up you know becoming more popular as solo people yeah there was this weird thing that came out of that where when Little Richard died, one of the things that I read that I had never heard before was that it was his interview with Hendrix where he said that, like, when he was developing his guitar sound, the specific thing he was shooting for that he wanted to make his guitar sound like was the way Little Richard's voice would blow out preamps when he got excited. <laughs> and, like, that's what Hendrix was chasing with his guitar. And, like, and I can totally hear it. Like, like, that absolutely made sense to me when I heard it. 
It's kind of like uh, it's it's sort of like the Ramones starting as a Beach Boys cover band, but not being able to play any of the songs. So like, yeah. The funny thing, like when I first heard that, that made me like mad. I, I, I you know, just I had like some stupid idea about what the Beach Boys were, I guess, and like, like I was angry at the Ramones for saying that, and you know, and 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 now I'm like, well, yeah, of course, that absolutely makes sense, and I can absolutely hear it. Like it felt like some kind of betrayal when I first heard that. I thought you were gonna you were going to uh, launch into your tirade about how you hate Stratocasters. That is on my, uh, <laughs> I have a note on that. Uh, yeah, and, and like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I do, I hate them, but uh, Hendrix, like, undercuts everything that I hate about them. Like, he, his guitar sounds great, and it doesn't sound at all like what, I guess, my limited idea of what a Strat sounds like, sounds like. And what is your primary beef with the Stratocaster? Is it just that everyone has one? No, I... The way a lot of people play them, I just, I think they sound high and thin and not like thin in the, they don't sound like angry thin the way a Telecaster does. I think they just sound thin and weak, but I mean, like I, as I say that, like, I know I am full of shit because that describes exactly none of the music that Jimi Hendrix played on a Stratocaster. Yeah, doesn't Bob Mould play a Stratocaster? Yeah, and I never understood that either. He, you know, he played a Flying V when... I guess or, he's uh, probably, he's playing through so much distortion that maybe it doesn't matter what he's playing. I, I mean, that that's the truth of it, is like, you know, any guitar, if you're playing it through a good amp and you pay attention to your settings, they all sound good. I... I at this point, hating Stratocasters is kind of like hating Steely Dan, where, like, I don't even... My heart's not even really in it. I just... It's just easier to... Well, you, to you've it. talked so much shit about Steely Dan that I don't, I don't think you can go back now. Exactly. Like, <laughs> it's just correcting the... Updating the record would be such a pain in the ass. That it's just easier to stick with my stated position. Uh, it's just it's just an argument of convenience at this point. You're yeah. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. So I, asking around, apparently, like the uh, apparently the thing that Hendrix does that makes you know to coax the good sound out is to use the middle pickup and then have gain cranked way the fuck up so that he can only he only needs to play one or two strings at a time to get like a big sound and it works. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. maybe you just hate like conventionally strong Stratocasters. Yeah. You know, you flip them over and I'm all in. I don't think anyone, I guess I'm not sure, but I've never heard of anyone else trying that as a, the, the flipped guitar. Yeah. Is that a thing? Like, not if you can help it. Cause it would suck. Like <laughs> all the, you know, all the controls are kind of <laughs> positioned where they are. And, like, like with a Strat, like, the body is beveled, like... The other it, way, right? Yeah, yeah, like, it sits comfortably against your body if you're playing it the right way. And it would, like, poke into you and block your hand if you... I don't know. I just wonder how he doesn't, like... He doesn't, like, hit all the controls as he's, as right. he's playing. Right. <sighs> 
Yeah. You know, one more way that he's a wizard. It's, uh, yeah, I guess that's, you know, like, that's, uh, Django Reinhardt kind of had to, had to come up with a unique style too, so. Yeah. And there are limitations. There are people that can, people that can pull it off. I, I have this weird memory from the late 90s of, um, who was that, or not late 90s, early 90s, that shitty, shitty comedian, Andrew Dice Clay. Um, just some promo image from some stupid movie he made that made this big deal about, like, Ford Fairlane plays a guitar strung for Hendrix. Yeah, that and movie was, is called The Adventures of Ford Fairlane? <laughs> yes. And, you know, I, but it was just so lame, like, this picture of Andrew Dice Clay playing a flipped strat, like, trying to borrow a little bit of Jimi Hendrix's cool, and no good. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, is he left-handed? Like, is he, like... That's the thing, like, you hope so, because if not, it's even dumber. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, like, I, I get, like, you know, it'd be cool to put on your wall, but, like... <laughs> I can even see, like, it would be kind of fun if I had to play a Strat. It would be fun to get a left-handed neck for it so that you'd have, like, the upside-down neck, and that might look cool, but just put it on, like, a regular right-handed body. That's that's as far as I'd be willing to take that, I guess. But I wouldn't do it because I just, there are other guitars in there. <laughs> I don't know. Um, when you... Just, when, when you <laughs> When you specified the name of uh, Andrew Dice Clay's movie, that reminded me of another thing I wanted to run by you. Um, I had never thought until like just the other day what a huge fucking flex it is if you're the young starting up Jimi Hendrix to name your band <laughs> the Jimi Hendrix Experience. You know, like you you are making a pro a promise that you have to deliver on, or you will look like an asshole. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work out so hot when it's like the John Sturat experience. Like, yeah. you know, like. Well, like, I, I remember when, I remember Poison broke up and, you know, their their guitar stud started the C.C. DeVille experience. And, like, no, no. Yeah, I mean, so the weird and this is a huge digression from Jimi Hendrix, so I apologize to anyone who's related to him. But like one of the crazy things about that era of of kind of glam metal is like a lot of those guitarists are like really technical. Yeah. Um, no feeling. Yeah, but it's like it's just like mathematical. Like it's like uh, yeah. I don't know. It's just a. It's like, so when you hear Jimi Hendrix play, like, you can, you know, you can just feel it, like, as a, like, as his interpretation of things. You know, like, you can, it's yeah. just like a living, breathing thing. Yeah, I like, like, totally. He, you know, there's not, I don't know that he ever, like, moves his fingers at, like, Eddie Van Halen speeds, but it's just so expressive that it comes off as great at whatever fucking speed he's playing. Like, it's really, it's, I don't know. It, it is, it, it, it's a treat to be able to, like, experience it even kind of fresh and just 
you know, be like, oh, God, yeah, I'm really hearing this. I just, just imagine, though, if you were, like, if you had just happened upon a, a club where he was playing or something. Fuck, or, yeah. Like, I don't know, you'd be dining on that, out on that for the rest of your life. I mean, just ask Sting. <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, I mean you're totally right. You just be like, fuck. I mean that's the I don't know. I've yet to have one of those experiences where like, like I was there when. Um, you you were there when the guy from Journey came out and <laughs> joined the that's, Eels. That's right. Well, I was there for that. That's right. That's you know. I wasted it. I feel like, but a little <laughs> bit. But um. Don't don't sneeze. <laughs> But, uh, oh. yeah, I, uh, I think that's only going to curry favor in a very, like, a very select group of, like, yeah. Steve Perry loyalists. They're out there, though. I, I've, I've run into a few of them. Um, want to talk, like, specific songs a little bit? Yeah, or, yeah I it. mean, we, we've bounced on some, but... I... What's, your, uh, so, what's your favorite? Uh, Voodoo Child Slight Return, for sure. I think that is my favorite Hendrix song all the way. I uh, and like a couple other m- just notes and memories I had about that. That um, you know, my undergrad girlfriend for some reason. So like I would listen to this song a lot, and she would just piss me off by saying. She would always start laughing at the start of the song, and just and I'd be like, "Why are you laughing?" And she's like, "His guitar part's funny," and I'm like, "What?" There's nothing funny about this guitar, you know. Like again, just being like an insufferable prick. But I don't. I, I. I never understand what she thought was funny about it, and it, it wasn't like degrading. But she was like, I don't know. It was weird. But that's that same part, that intro for Voodoo Child Slight Return also makes me think of the stupid Steven Steven Seagal movie where he's oh, on a yes. battleship under siege. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just I remember there's like an establishing shot where shit's gonna go down and they like they show the battleship from a distance and you start hearing like whichever member of the Hendrix estate greenlighted that <laughs> man have you ever seen the uh, have you <laughs> there's this video clip that circulates of Steven Seagal throwing down on guitar have you ever <laughs> And it, it, it's awesome. It, it shows up on like uh, on YouTube. It says like Steven Seagal epic guitar solo. I have not seen that. Oh, it 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 it's I re- magnificent. I feel like Steven Seagal is like he is like his generation's like apex butthole. Like <laughs> he's a giant butthole. <laughs> he is just like in every arena. The guy is a total jackass <laughs> he manages a way to like find a way to be a jackass in buddhism yeah right like, like what kind of asshole are you like how many dick buddhists do you know <laughs> jesus oh actually i think yeah. i think leonard cohen was actually kind of a dick a buddhist dick too. <laughs> he had to have been better than steven seagal <laughs> Oh man, what do you make of uh what do you make of Little Miss Strange? I you know, I, well first of all, 
you know, uh, props to Jimi Hendrix for giving Noel Redding a, a track on the album. Um, you know, like <laughs> that's <laughs> is the diplomatic thing to do, I guess. I don't know. I something about it just creeps me out. I don't know, and I don't know what it is. Um, I hate it. It it just, and I don't know why it is. It just feels like dirty to me. I don't know what the <laughs> like. Yeah, no, not for me. I mean, to me, I think it sounds like the kind of 60s pop that we've kind of slowly airbrushed out of the picture, you know, as we've, like, constructed the 60s. And there, I think there was a lot of shit that just kind of sounded like that and was kind of bad, and, like, we we choose not to remember it. because like it's the monkeys? It's, yeah, you know, like, I mean, they had a couple bangers, but... Way too many Little Miss Strange type things. Be curious. I'd like to hear your ranking of monkeys bangers. Uh, it's gonna go Daydream Believer, <laughs> Last Train to Clarksville. Well, last, last Train to Clarksville's pretty good. Yeah. And then they uh, and then just nothing. But uh, I don't Daydream Believer. Like I have, I have a soft spot for that because I saw Paul Westerberg play it. Uh, like you know, right after the replacements broke up, and like he fucking just lit it on fire, and it was just I I can't not love that song after that. Yeah, it's. I just just looking at so just looking at this my notes. I one of the things that I always find interesting is kind of like, like. So when this album came out, the reviews were pretty bad. I, I mean, it's kind of a lot to digest. I can, but like retroactively, you know, like it's gotten all these acclaims of, you know, like top five hundred greatest albums ever, and all kinds of things. So it's it's just interesting yeah. how that like people sort of, I don't know. Sometimes people just need to marinate on things for a little bit. I think a lot of times greatness needs a while to land. I've I've been guilty of that many a time. So oh, for sure. But yeah, no, I I feel like I, I just feel like there's some, you know, like, despite you not liking it and being a U two loyalist, I think all along the Watchtower <laughs> is like, uh, it's just one of those songs. that's like I I can't believe that he heard the Bob Dylan song and like was able to make it into that. Like that. Just, it is. Yeah. You're right. Like that is a crazy transformation. It's good. Like I'm not. I'm. I'm definitely not here saying it's not good. I'm just. I'm saying I'm. I'm emotionally stunted on that particular issue. <laughs> but you know, I've heard apparently Dylan like apparently you know. I don't. I don't think Dylan likes a lot of covers of his songs, but apparently he likes that one. So. Wonder how he feels about that Ramones cover of his uh, on Acid Eaters. What do you think his Man, take of that? If he doesn't like it, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's my take on that. If the Ramones cover you, you say thank you, boys. Can I have some more? Somebody should ask Ted Nugent that because don't they cover <laughs> an Amboy Duke song? They do. Yeah. I I would be really curious to hear what Ted Nugent would think about that. 
Um, He'd probably be... I'm guessing he's opposed to it. I don't... So I was going to say that too, but then it did occur to me, he might... I I could see Ted Nugent saying something like, Johnny Ramone is the only man I respect in rock and roll. (laughs) I like his politics. Such an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who knows? Putting words in Ted Nugent's mouth is... uh, an interesting thing to do. I mean, I think it's just a function of age that Ted Nugent wasn't arrested in the Capitol. Like, <laughs> like I think he's just too old. To... <laughs> yeah. He was watching at home going, like, go get there. Get in there, boys. Get there, Pelosi. Oh, so, uh, this isn't so much a note on a specific song, but... I feel like, except for maybe Voodoo Child Slight Return and maybe Gypsy Eyes, for most of this album, I feel like the drums just kind of sound like shit. I mean, not that they're being played badly, but they're recorded really badly, I I, I feel like. Do you... Yeah, it's interesting because everything you read about the album is like how how much of a like perfectionist Hendrix was as the producer... Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that if he's like the to him perfection is like the the guitar sound and yeah. not the overall product. Uh, I think it, it kind of feels like it. I mean, it, it's weird because for a while I thought like, oh, well, they just didn't have good mics to get the drums, but but that can't be it because on a couple of songs they do sound full and good. And, you know, and, like, other bands were recording drums at the same time. But, like, for this, there's big stretches of the album where it just sounds like it sounds like they're hitting a cardboard box somewhere in the background. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing because, like, it's, I think we're, as we were talking about earlier, there's, like, there's just so many live albums for, yeah. for the Hendrix experience that it's, like, and it seems like they keep cropping up. Like somebody finds a master tape and releases yeah. it. Um, so I don't know that if that's Henry, a cash grab or what that is. I think that's a cash grab. I think, you know, I, Jimi Hendrix somehow was the first celebrity where I was aware of um, that. The first dead celebrity whose estate I was aware was just like actively farming money from like every possible thing they could uh you know i mean like he was he was the pioneer of the posthumous album and posthumous single release and you know yeah i mean like like, oh here's a new tape well new live album yeah it's uh i don't know i just uh it's got to be hard to, like, it's got to be hard to just fight with the members of your family over something that, like, one of your relatives created. Like, yeah. Like, I think Frank Zappa's kids are, like, all at war over his, which is amazing to me because that, I guess I didn't realize that, like, Frank Zappa's catalog was all that valuable, but, um. Apparently it's worth fighting over. Yeah. I don't know. It's no good. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's ugly, that's for sure. But yeah, I don't know. I'm. I uh, it's one of those things. I I I was excited to listen to it, and I'm glad that I listened to it again. But, um, you know, I I just I don't know. I don't I don't know if I can, like I don't know if I can do the like the the 14 minute version of Voodoo <laughs> Child on a on a regular basis. I you know there are like there are artists where I'm just like I'm in for the albums. And then there are artists who I still like a lot, but like I'm more of like a greatest hits type fan. And that's kind of where I'm at with Hendrix. Like I I just I want to hear like I want to hear a specific subset of what I like, but I don't know that I'm always going to sit down and go for the 73 minute journey. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like with, with this album, I'm really struck by most of the songs that really that I really like are ones that I know from the, uh, you know, whatever the greatest hits album that came out in the '90s was the the ultimate experience or whatever. That one is pretty good. Um, yeah, it's better than uh, Smash Hits for sure. Yeah, Smash Hits had the cool like pop art cover. It did. Yeah, it was a. But, it's uh it doesn't have the slight return version of Voodoo Child on it, I don't think, so. Missing out. I mean like badly missing out. Yeah, no, that's a, a that is a mind bender. Absolutely. Um, do you wanna preview the next album or do you wanna uh yes. I uh so we we even accidentally laid well, there's a continuation onto this. There is there's a Hendrix involvement. Um and you kind of accidentally also helped set this up. Um, I next time around, I want to put Generation X on trial culturally, put the nineteen nineties on trial. Uh, we're gonna talk about the singles soundtrack. Wow, yeah, we're doing it. All right, let's do it. We're gonna That's, talk. We're, we're gonna talk about Green River or what? I don't even know who. We're going to stare the city of Seattle in the face. <laughs> and Paul Westerberg. Yeah. That's... Paul Westerberg. Is he, he write the, did, did he write the, did he do the music for that movie? He did. Okay. He contributed two songs and then scored the movie. And like, yeah, well, I won't. Yeah. I'll keep I don't my powder dry. Let's not bury the lead. Yeah. So um, I, I, just as an English yeah. guy, like English major, why is it lead L-E-D-E? I don't before? know. I that's I that is total just journalism slang and our jargon and I think it's maybe it's like a joke, you know, like how we make our living yeah. so spell it. I don't know. I just that I... it is weird. You know, that and graph, G R A F. Journalists, man. Yeah. What you need to do is find a real journalist like Sean Hannity. And <laughs> ask ask him. He can he can tell That's you. That's good. I, I have a call with Ben Shapiro tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> Perfect. He will he'll be happy to explain it to you. <laughs> well, so is that that sounds like it for Electric yeah, Lady? Yeah, I think that's all I've got. All right. Well, thanks everybody for uh, listening to us yammer about it. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with single soundtrack to. 
figure out this Gen X shit. Uh, in the meantime, I am Keith. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly and and I'm Chad Cook, and you can find me uh, at Cook six two five two. And one thing Chad loves is um, the the presence of just the concept of Chad in in the world now. So I think if there are any memes that be. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do love that. I, I I want you to just get buried with memes now. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, I uh, had I been a girl, I was going to be named Nia. So, I mean, if you have any memes <laughs> for that, let's let's roll with that too. <laughs> I would love it if that took off. Um, you know, we would love to hear from you um, for either frivolous reasons like that or if there's anything uh you know you're you're a stratocaster guy and you want to tell me i'm a dumbass or you're steven seagal and you want to <laughs> challenge me to, to a fight to the death uh, if you dug the show please tell people about it or go to itunes or google play or wherever and you found it i don't know if we're even on google play anymore <laughs> leave a review somewhere <laughs> we've been banished from google play <laughs> we just couldn't hang Uh, In the meantime, thanks. We'll talk to you again soon as we dig into the singles soundtrack. Singles. Singles.